I am very pleased to be able to be with you all again this morning, and I'm especially excited to have my son and my new daughter-in-law with us today. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 28. With this being October and everything, I thought this morning I'm going to tell you a ghost story. You may say Craig has gone completely off the rails, but to stick with me, I, I think this will be a little bit different than what you might think. So, 1 Samuel chapter 28. You stand for the reading. Now it came about in those days that the Philistines gathered their armed camps for war to fight against Israel. And Achish said to David, Know assuredly that you will go out with me in the camp, you and your men. And David said to Achish, Very well, you shall know what your servant can do. So Achish said to David, Very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. Now Samuel was dead, and all Israel had lamented him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Samuel had re- and Saul had removed from the land those who were mediums and spiritists. So the Philistines gathered together and came and camped in Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel together, and they camped in Gilboa. When Saul saw the camp of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. When Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, Seek for me a woman who is a medium that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, Behold, there is a woman who is a medium at Endor. Then Saul disguised himself by putting on other clothes and went, and he, he, and, two, he and two men with him, and they came to the woman by night. And he said, Conjure up for me, please, and bring up for me whom I shall name to you. But the woman said to him, Behold, you know what Saul has done how he has cut off those who are mediums and spiritists from the land. Why are you then laying a snare for my life to bring about my death? And Saul Saul vowed to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord lives, there shall no punishment come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, Bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice, and the woman spoke to Saul, saying, Why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. And the king said to her, Do not be afraid, but what do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a divine being coming up out of the earth. And he said to her, What is his form? And she said, An old man is coming up, and he is wrapped with a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel, and he bowed with his face to the ground and did homage. Then Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I am greatly distressed, for the Philistines are waging war against me, and God has departed from me and answers me no more, either through prophets or by dreams. Therefore I have called you that you may make known to me what I should do. And Samuel said, Why then do you ask me, since the Lord has departed from you and has become your adversary? 
And the Lord has done accordingly as he spoke through me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David. As you did not obey the Lord and did not execute his fierce wrath on Amalek, so the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will also give over Israel along with you into the hands of the Philistines. Therefore, tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. Indeed, the Lord will give over the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. Then Saul immediately fell full length upon the ground and was very afraid because of the words of Samuel. Also, there was no strength in him, for he had eaten no food all day and all night. And the woman came to Saul and saw that he was terrified and said to him, Behold, your maidservant has obeyed you, and I have taken my life in my hand and have listened to your words which you spoke to me. So now also, please listen to the voice of your maidservant, and let me set a piece of bread before you, that you may eat and have strength when you go on your way. But he refused and said, I will not eat. However, his servants together with the woman urged him, and he listened to them. So he arose from the ground and sat on his bed, and the woman had a fattened calf in the house, And she quickly slaughtered it, and she took flour and kneaded it, and baked unleavened bread from it. And she brought it before Saul and his servants, and they ate, and they rose and went away that night. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, as we consider now your words that have been recorded for us in Holy Scripture, We ask for the illumination of our hearts and our minds by your spirit of truth. And I ask that you would forgive all of my sin and purify these unclean lips of mine and use them for your glory. We ask this in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. The origin of this sermon is kind of interesting. It was last year that uh, my pastor, Chuck Hickey, was preaching a series of sermons on the book of 1 Samuel. And uh, he acknowledged as he was getting closer to chapter 28 that he had a little bit of fear and trepidation about this chapter because he knew it was somewhat controversial. And I jokingly told him that I would be glad to preach on chapter 28 for him because uh, I had studied it in college and it was a particular interest of mine. And uh, it turned out to be one of those situations where fools rush in where angels fear to tread because I actually never thought that he would take me up on my offer. So, uh, you know, just a word of warning, be careful what you wish for, you might get it. The fact of the matter is that in our culture, as we move farther and farther away from a Christian foundation, um, our our culture becomes more interested in occult practices, and we see this especially in our entertainment choices. And uh, as we're less than two weeks away from Halloween now, I, I thought it might be appropriate to talk about this this morning. And I need to start uh, by telling you that my understanding of what happened here in 1 Samuel chapter 28 is actually a minority report even among the Reformed community. I haven't had a chance to talk with Bobby about his understanding of, uh, 
of First Samuel chapter 28, but I can tell you that my understanding is different from my pastor's uh, understanding. It's different from Chuck Hickey. It's different from uh, classical commentators such as Matthew Henry. It's different from the New Geneva Study Bible. It's different from uh, Doug Wilson. In most cases, I would consult all of these for help with uh, interpreting what the Bible has to say. But in this particular case, I think uh, a careful analysis reveals a different conclusion from what these sources give us. Now, if if you've studied uh, formal logic, you know that that it's a, a fallacy to say simply because you disagree with the majority, you must be wrong. Now, I don't think it's the main message of 1 Samuel 28, but the question that this passage raises in most people's minds is, is it really possible to make contact with people who have died? I mean, could I find a medium who would allow me to talk with my mother or my grandfather who I loved, but who passed away years ago? If you look at this passage on the surface, in English... It appears that this must be possible, and I say it appears because if we look at this passage in light of the rest of Scripture and from an analysis of the account itself and the original language, I think we will see that nothing supernatural actually happened in this account and that this woman deceived King Saul with some simple parlor tricks. In our confession of faith, our stated principles of the interpretation of Scripture tell us that when there is a question about the true and full sense of any Scripture, it must be searched and known by other places that speak more clearly. And I think one Scripture that sheds a lot of light on the question of whether or not we can communicate with the dead is the parable about Lazarus and the rich man that Bobby read for us a little earlier. And one thing that that Jesus makes clear to us in that uh, parable is that normally there is no communication between the dead and the living. The practice of trying to communicate with the dead has been popular in, the, in America since the middle of the 19th century. It all began in 1848 when two sisters in Hydesville, New York, named Maggie and Katie Fox, devised an elaborate hoax that they played on their very superstitious mother. They made their mother believe that she was communicating with a ghost by voluntarily cracking their knee joints and snapping their toes in response to her questions. And Mrs. Fox then brought home some neighbors to witness this phenomenon, and the the girls felt trapped into continuing their charade. And one of the neighbors developed an elaborate system of assigning letters of the alphabet to the noises that these ghosts supposedly made, which was sort of an ancestor of the Ouija board and and also uh, an ancestor of table tapping. Some 40 years later, Maggie Fox finally confessed that it had all been a hoax. But people who believed in spiritualism thought that she had lost her mind and the whole spiritualism movement had taken on a life of its own by that time. Many of us wonder about it. Are there really such things as ghosts? 
Can mediums really call up and channel the dead? I've had to laugh at times when, when I look at travel brochures and you see uh, hotels actually advertise as a positive thing that they are haunted. The fact is that the Bible tells us that ordinarily people who have died are not able to communicate with people who are living. If you are communicating with a spiritual being, it is most likely not the spirit of somebody who has died. It's only in extraordinary, miraculous circumstances, such as Jesus' transfiguration, where Moses and Elijah appeared to Peter, James, and John, and Jesus at Jesus' transfiguration in Matthew 17. It's only in extraordinary circumstances like that where God does a miracle that the living and the dead communicate with each other. The question you have to ask is, is that what happened in 1 Samuel 28? Was this an extraordinary, miraculous circumstance where God raised up Samuel to speak with Saul? Matthew Henry, the New Geneva Study Bible, Doug Wilson would all say yes. I would respectfully disagree, and I'd like to show you why. Another possibility is that this woman is someone who consorted with demons. And while it's not possible to contact spirits of the dead, it is possible to be involved in devil worship and demon worship, and it is possible that this woman could have conjured up a demon who impersonated Samuel. I don't think that's what happened here either. And I think it's important to realize that neither Satan nor demons can predict the future any more than any human can. While it is possible to contact those kind of spirits, it is highly dangerous, and I would strongly recommend that you stay as far away from that stuff as you can. But let's look at the account and see what the account itself tells us about what happened. First of all, in verse 3, we are told that Saul had removed or exiled from the land, those who were mediums and spiritists. Now, the original Hebrew words here are people who were either an ob or a yedoni. Okay, the, the various English translations actually uh, render these words very differently. Both the New American Standard Bible and the New International Version translate these mediums and spiritists. The King James Version translates it uh, those that had familiar spirits and wizards. The English Standard Version translates it mediums and necromancers. The Darby translation is necromancers and soothsayers. The Knox Bible is, is soothsayers and diviners. The Revised Standard Version, mediums and wizards. The Wycliffe Bible, witches and false diviners. Uh, so we have quite a diversity of, of how we translate these terms. And you might say, well, why is that? Well, just as in our society, the nature of these practitioners is not real well, real well defined, and it wasn't real well defined in 1000 BC. And just as in, our, as in our society, they didn't assign a lot of credibility to these folks either. They had some clever tricks that they could do, and they had some ways that they could make people part with their money. But for the most part, that was as far as it went. And 
when we read the passage earlier from Isaiah, Isaiah even belittles these people, the, the Obes and the Yadonis, where he says, And when they say to you, Consult the mediums and the spiritists who whisper and mutter, Should not a people consult their God? Should they consult the dead on behalf of the living? The reason that the Obes and the Yadonis were unacceptable to the Lord was not because they had any supernatural power. It was because they caused people to violate the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. It, it, it was literally, you shall have no other gods before my face or anywhere in my presence. These people were an abomination to the Lord because they competed for his position as God. The law in Deuteronomy 18 tells us, There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire, one who uses divination, one who practices witchcraft, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who casts a spell, or a medium, that's an obe, or a spiritist, that's a Yedoni, or one who calls up the dead. For whoever does these things is detestable to the Lord, and because of these detestable things, the Lord your God will drive them out before you. Now, given that the, these obes and Yedonis, these mediums and spiritists, were detestable to the Lord, I would find it really hard to believe that the Lord would use these mediums to perform a miracle like the transfiguration to raise up Samuel to speak with Saul. Saul had exiled all the mediums and the spiritists from the land, which in itself is a good thing. But these people were detestable to the Lord. And the thing is, the law didn't say that they should be exiled. The law said, Now a man or a woman who is a medium or a spiritist shall surely be put to death. They shall be stoned with stones. Their blood guiltiness is upon them. So his attempt to purge them from the land, purge these mediums and spiritists from the land, was really kind of half-hearted. He didn't really, you know, do what the Lord said to do with them. He didn't stone them. He just said, leave. And what seems really interesting is that when Saul wanted to speak to a medium, he seemed fairly confident that his men could find them. And sure enough, as soon as he asked, his men said, oh yeah, there, there's a medium over in Endor. And, you know, for those of you who are Star Wars fans, Endor is not the home of the Ewoks. So this whole purging of the land of the mediums and the spiritists didn't, does not seem to have been real successful. In verse 8, we're told that Saul disguised himself by putting on other clothes. Now, that also seems kind of comical. Because if you read uh, about uh, the account in, in chapter 9, 1 Samuel chapter 9, it tells us that Saul was head and shoulders taller than everybody else in Israel. And unless he was walking on his knees... He really couldn't have disguised himself. It doesn't matter whether he was wearing other clothes. Saul was still going to be head and shoulders taller than everybody else in Israel. So that was the medium's first clue about who her customer was. And then Saul goes in and he says to her, Conjure up for me, please, and bring up for me whom I shall name to you. 
But the woman said to him, Behold, you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off those who are mediums and spiritists from the land. Why are you then laying a snare for my life to bring about my death? And Saul vowed to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord lives, there shall no punishment come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, Bring up Samuel for me. So the woman's got to be thinking, Who is it that is head and shoulders taller than anyone else in Israel and has the authority to promise that if you disobey the king's command, nothing's going to happen to you and would want to talk to Samuel? It didn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that this medium's customer was none other than King Saul. But the medium was able to use all this information to her advantage and make it appear that somehow this information was revealed to her psychically. And in verse 12, we are told, When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out in a loud voice, and the woman spoke to Saul, saying, Why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. Now, you might read that and say, well, see, she really did see Samuel. But if you think about it, how did this account get to us? We know that Samuel did not write chapter 28. Samuel died in chapter 25. So somebody else finished this book. It was probably a a later prophet or an editor. Somebody else finished this book and they got this account from some other original source. And there were only four people who were there at this event. There was King Saul, there was the medium, and there were the two men who went there with King Saul. Well, King Saul died the next day in battle, so he probably didn't relay this story. It's not likely that the medium relayed this story. What's likely is that one of the two men who was with King Saul relayed this story from his perspective. And it's not surprising that he doesn't say when she pretended to see Samuel. He simply told the story from his perspective. He said, when the woman saw Samuel, she cried out. But nobody except for the woman could actually see Samuel. And the king said to her, do not be afraid, but what do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a divine being coming up out of the earth. And he said to her, what is his form? And she said, an old man is coming up and he is wrapped with a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel, and he bowed with his face to the ground and did homage. An old man wrapped with a robe must be Samuel. She gives no distinguishing features, not his hair color, not his eye color, no birthmarks, not his height, not a belt, not a sash, not a bag. Just an old man wrapped in a robe. So it must be Samuel. Couldn't it just as well have been Moses? Couldn't it have been Saul's crazy uncle Benjamin? I'm an old man wrapped in a robe. 
couldn't have been me, based on her description. No, it must have been Samuel. And then we have the conversation between Saul and Samuel. And this might be the most puzzling part. And Samuel makes what seems to be some rather startling and accurate predictions about what would happen in the battle the next day. Now, you may not be familiar with the practice of a medium. And if you're not, that's a good thing. I'd be really glad that you haven't messed around with mediums. The concept is that the medium supposedly channels the spirit, and the spirit speaks through the medium's voice. It might interest you to know that the Davis Dictionary of the Bible gives one of the definitions of the word ob, medium, which we translate here as one who mutters or speaks from the hollow of his belly or a ventriloquist. So what Saul actually heard was the medium's voice, not Samuel. It was not a spirit, and it was not difficult for the woman to predict what was going to happen the next day in battle. It was common knowledge that the Lord had rejected Saul and that David had been anointed to be the king. It was clear that Saul was terrified and was not prepared to lead his army into battle the next day. Predicting defeat and death was really not a stretch. If you read ahead to the end of 1 Samuel, you'll find that Saul actually worked pretty hard to make sure that the predictions that he was given came to pass. And if you do a little reading on the subject, I think you'll find that a lot of fortune-telling usually works that way. For what it's worth, that's what I think really happened in 1 Samuel chapter 28. But that's not the main thing that I think we should take away from this chapter. The main reason that I think the Lord recorded this account for us is that this is one of those don't let this happen to you kind of stories. When you are seeking supernatural power or guidance from a source other than the Lord, whether that source is real or fraudulent, you are seeking to circumvent the will of God and you are seeking power over your fellow creatures. This account is the last attempt on Saul's part to seek, the, seek what he wanted on his terms rather than submitting to the will of the Lord. It all started back in 1 Samuel chapter 15 when God told Saul to utterly destroy the Amalekites. When, the Lord, when, when Samuel confronted Saul and he said, why didn't you obey the Lord's command? Saul said, well, you know, I, I, I did obey the Lord's command and, and I went on the mission on which the Lord sent me and I brought back Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took some of the spoil and the sheep and the oxen and the choicest of the things devoted to destruction to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. And Samuel says, that's not what God told you to do. He said, utterly destroy them. Samuel said, has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? 
Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and insubordination as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. And that's where it really began. Rebellion is as the sin of divination. That's where it began for Saul. Some of your translations might say, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. That's where the attitude started. Rather than giving God the glory, rather than obeying the Lord, Saul said, no, I want to compromise just a little bit. I want to do things my way. I want to seek after my own power. That's really a pretty foolish attitude. The Lord made the heavens and the earth and the seas and everything that's in them. And he took Saul from chasing a bunch of donkeys and he made him the king over all Israel. The prophet Daniel tells us that it is the Lord who removes kings and establishes kings. But Saul says, I want to do things my way. I don't want to take orders from God. When David was confronted with his sin by the prophet Nathan... David's response was to repent, and he was ultimately restored, and God blessed David beyond his wildest imagination. But when, Saul, when Samuel confronted Saul with his sin and says, you have been rejected from being king, Saul says, no, I'm not. And he started with his, this attitude, I'm going to do things my way. I don't want to take orders from God. And it leads Saul to make multiple attempts on David's life. And he even kills the priest of the Lord. And of course, that's going to work. You know, you kill a few of the Lord's priests, and that, that's going to get you around uh, God's prohibition. By the time we get to chapter 28, Saul has made a mess of his life and of Israel. His army is about to face a battle that he is not prepared to fight, and he is terrified. And he, he does not know what to do. So now he wants to talk to God. Not surprisingly, God doesn't want to talk to him. If you're not interested in repenting of your sin and humbling yourself before the Lord, you shouldn't really expect that God will be interested in helping you out. Verse 6 tells us that when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. I find it really interesting that the text puts it that way. Because in the Old Testament, dreams were a common way that, that the Lord gave direct revelation to kings. And the Urim was a device that the Lord used to give direct revelation to priests. And, and, um, and, prof, and of course, the Lord gave direct revelation by speaking to the prophets. But the Lord didn't visit Saul in his dreams anymore. Saul had killed the priests. So the priests didn't really want to hang out with Saul anymore. And the prophets weren't really interested in talking to Saul by this time either. If you look over at 1 Samuel chapter 30, the Lord was still very willing to talk to David. But he didn't want to talk to Saul anymore. That's all the more reason why I'm convinced that the Lord would not have miraculously allowed Samuel's spirit to speak with Saul. And if you think about it, 
the medium that Saul consulted in chapter 28 probably was not a fan of Saul's either because he had tried to put her and people like her out of business. The advice and the predictions that she gave him set in motion a chain of events that caused a humiliating defeat for Israel at the hands of the Philistines, and it caused the death of Saul's sons, including David's dear friend Jonathan. And Saul died alone by his own hand, filled with guilt and shame, a miserable failure as a king. And it was because rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Rebellion is like an infection that gets into your soul and eats away at it. It's a desire to have your own power and do things your own way. And it's a problem that can afflict anyone, not just kings. Kings tend to be larger-than-life characters, and when we study them in Scripture, they can bring issues into very sharp focus. But this is a sin that we all need to guard against. We are all sinners. When you have to face that, it just, it's no fun. You know, you just, it's something you just hate. But the fact of the matter is, we are all sinners. We come to church each week as part of our worship, and we bow before the Lord... And we confess our sins. The church is the only institution in the world where you have to acknowledge the fact that you are corrupt and in need of a savior before you can be granted membership. You may have thought that when I started the sermon this morning, the scariest thing I was going to talk about was King Saul going to see a ghost in the middle of the night. But the really dangerous thing that Saul was involved in is that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. It was because of Saul's rebellion that the Lord had rejected Saul and the Lord wouldn't even speak to him anymore. And now the king of all Israel is scared to death of a gypsy woman's parlor tricks. That was how far he had fallen. That was how much he had lost because of his rebellion against the Lord. There's a lot more that I could say about a lot of these things. There's a lot of applications that we could make in our personal lives. There are applications we could make in the government of our families, our churches, our communities, and even our nation. But I think I've given you plenty to think about this morning. To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that in your wisdom you have preserved examples for us of both success and failure. And we thank you for recording the account of Saul's rebellion and downfall as a warning for us. We acknowledge that just like Saul, we are all sinners in need of a Savior. And we thank you and praise you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to be that Savior. We pray that you would cause us not to take that great gift for granted. 
We pray that you would remove all rebelliousness from our hearts and cause us to live in humble submission, obedience, and gratitude all of our days. In Jesus' precious name we ask it. Amen.